RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Dr. Ursula Edgington is a fully qualified adult education teacher and educational consultant. Dr. Edgington engages in a broad range of international research and writing projects, reflecting her passion for incorporating the Māori concept of ako, teaching and learning within student-centred learning, creativity and social justice. Ursula's been on our program before. We had a chat a few months ago. Actually, it was back in April, and uh, we were talking then about the state of university education, and she is back. Hello, Dr. Edgington. Nice to have you back on RCR. Thank you for coming Brilliant. on. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me back on. Okay, we're here to talk about um, these um, uh, exemption figures, and I, I want to get this straight. So there have been two OIAs that we've been talking about recently. The first one, which mentioned the um, the larger total of just over 11,000, was um, an OIA by NZ Doc, New Zealand Doc. You did one as well, which I think covered the medical exemptions. Yeah. Is that how, have I got that right? That's right, yeah. So just to clarify then, the um, the reason why this sort of came up on my radar again recently was the NZ Doc substat, uh, which pulled attention to an OIA that said that 11,005 individuals approximately um, had been granted exemptions from the healthcare sector. And that confused me at the time because I'd already done an OIA back when the mandates were dropped, right. uh, which was September last year, wasn't it, I think? Around there, yep. Um, and the OIA that I had gave me a breakdown by DHB, as it, as they were then. Um, I've got to think about that, yeah. The breakdown was 6,700 and something. Um, and I thought, well, this is a bit strange because... I did, I, you know, I knew there were people outside of the DHBs, but I didn't expect there to be nearly double the number of exemptions. And um, so, yeah, I mean, the breakdown was interesting. And then the further we looked at it, the worse it got, basically. And, and uh, you know, a, a few of us have looked at these various figures D now. Just explain that, that. The more you looked at it, the worse it got. Yeah. Outside, because, outside. <laughs> because when... We looked at the actual application forms, the physical application forms that the healthcare sector um, had to complete. Um, you know, there, there's three or four pages there that are quite in depth. They ask for the name of the employee, uh, a risk assessment plan to be attached to the application, and those applications could be valid for up to six months. Um, so, um, you know, there was a lot of what we call sludge there, which we'll go into some detail in a minute, maybe sludge. about. Did you sludge. Say sludge. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But there was on top of that, there was the parliamentary questions that Chris Bishop put to Chris Hipkins um, back in March, which, you know, again, those those figures didn't really add up to what we had seen in the OIAs as well. And can, then can you remember what figures he gave in answers to, to those questions? Can you can you remember the ballpark of those? Yeah, he he quoted um back in March 2023, Chris Bishop, um March 22, sorry, 
Yeah. Um, okay. Chris Bishop asked Chris Hipkins for the SSDs. This is we haven't mentioned this. This is we're talking about the significant service disruption exemptions, not specifically the medical exemptions, which is a separate matter. Mm-hmm. So Chris Bishop asked Chris Hipkins a parliamentary question. And those figures were that 1,150 were granted in November 2021. 11 were granted in December, only 11. January was missing. And then February, there was 1,446. Um, sort of an inconsistent pattern in a way. Very inconsistent, it? yeah. I mean, partly that that December, January um yeah, get that glitch holiday. can obviously be about yeah. holidays um but there was a there's two things about that there's the note that came with that pdf attached to the parliamentary written questions which said that each of these exemptions were granted for a maximum of four weeks when okay. the application yeah when the application forms we thought were maximum of six months so, so, so could could they customize the, or nominate a period of time within that six months? Do we think? Possibly, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of pressure to even individuals who had applied for an exemption to still get the jab at you know as soon as possible, and they made it you know as as potentially easy as possible, didn't they? Making sure that you could get the jab whilst you're at work. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a lot of coercion and a lot of pressure for people during even those people that were exempted. So we're interested in lot. I mean, this raises more questions basically than it answers, Paul. So, you know, we want to know whether those applications were repeated, were they sent in every four weeks? Who were the they same for? people rolling over their exemption? Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. So were those 11,005 actually repeated applications, not? separate individuals, those 11,005 that were mentioned, we don't know. Those seven, That 6,700 that I got in my original OIA, broken down by DHB, again, that could be repeated numbers, which seems very strange to me to, to provide a table with a total by DHB and then to say actually that total total isn't valid really because it contains repeated individual applications it's um it's it's very it's deliberately confusing you know and on top of that we've got this issue of the teachers uh ends dsos um court case that's still we're still waiting for an appeal decision i think on that um where if you look at the affidavit submitted by rachel mckay um, she's asked explicitly at the at the time of that court case how many exemptions had been granted, and she said eleven in the affidavit. And so that was obviously the. I mean, I'm assuming that that what she meant was that was the number of exemptions that have been granted just for the month of December. But yeah, of you mentioned that already, just before. Yeah, yeah, there'd the already 11. been eleven over eleven hundred the the previous month. So you know whether that was you know, a, a mistake that she made or whether that was a misinterpretation or, or something slightly, you know, more sinister, we don't know and, and maybe we'll never know. Is but it, it just it, adds to the to the confusion, really. If that 11,000 figure is rolling people over, we could mm. 
try and divide by and work out then the the period of time that each exemption lasted for, couldn't we? That's right. Yes. Yeah. But we need that information because we don't know. We don't really know how many people per application. Some applications were per individual, but some weren't. And we don't know how long each application was for. So there is, I mean, Kirsten Murphy, I think, has submitted a, another OIA that's actually asked for all of the information. So that, you know, that between us, we might get to the bottom of it eventually. Um, but we'll just have to keep going and, and keep probing these. And maybe, you know, now that Winston has said, I just I just heard the replay of um, Cameron's interview with uh, with Winston at the weekend. And he said that he will deliberately make lots of parliamentary questions every day um so we can we can just keep keep prodding and keep asking and and see what the outcome is but it's it's looking it's looking pretty bad and very confusing that uh, 11,000 figure that only came out of a a way more limited number of applications didn't it like in the hundreds or, or low hundreds that's right yes again that's that's confusing to me because as i say the actual application form itself i've got a copy here you know you have to state the actual stay staff worker so um there's there's obviously another type of application that was able to be submitted for multiple staff members but yeah and how do you, you know, get around all those staff members yeah and, 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 at, and at what point you know did um Ashley Bloomfield or and his colleagues sit down in a room or on a Zoom conversation and go through all of these application they forms. It would have been impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how would you, if we wanted clarity, how should these these um, statistics, these numbers, be reported in your mind? Um. I don't. Well, I don't think we can go any further on reporting them until we've got some more information which no, is in, in terms we, of the information they are providing what what would be the yeah. more sensible clear yeah. really transparent way of presenting I, i'm this not even sure they know i i'm not i'm not even sure the people at the end of the line know themselves i, I i'm not convinced that they fully understand what the processes were how the exemptions were granted and and how they were tallied up um and and this adds to that that issue of the of the sludge, you know, the the conflating of different exemption types of exemptions, types of applications, the bureaucracy involved. Um, you know, it's it's all part of the obfuscation of the data to make people feel as if they are, you know, it's out of their control. They're, they're it's too confusing. It makes us feel anxious just thinking about the the administration and the bureaucracy involved. So, you know, the, the best thing you can do, um, which is what the government wants you to do, is go what they call go with the flow. That that was a, a term that came up in the 2011, I think it was, UK government uh, mind space report, which was the, the nudge units sort of, you know, initial uh, report where they go through all the strategies. You know, and this sounds like a conspiracy theory. It's crazy. But it's freely available. Just Google it even in your phone. Oh, you don't even it. need to say that anymore. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, that I know you and I both know that there's people out there that still think that those kinds of things don't exist. But the Nudge Unit um, provided this report um, and it basically highlights all of the behavioral science strategies. And one of those strategies 
very effective strategy is the what they call the sludge, the dark patterns. Um, and I'm pretty sure that this exemption um, policy and everything around it falls into that category. It's it's a way of preventing people. You know, in New Zealand, a lot of people think, oh, there's. I'll look at the map or I'll look at the GPS and there's a gravel road there between A and B. So I, I won't go the gravel road because, you know, it's a bit risky. I'll go the other way instead because it's the easy route. Yeah. You know, that I won't, I won't risk anything like that. Take the like easy that. way. Yep. Yeah, even though it takes longer maybe or, you know, there's other things involved. And that's a that's a great metaphor, I think, for what sludge is, is when you're and, and how we can learn from this going forward is when you know that it exists, you can see it very clearly. You know, it's an elephant in the room. And when an, a med, when a medical exemption is pr- provided and the authorities deliberately make it too complicated, seemingly, and too time consuming and emotionally draining to go through all of those kinds of uh, processes, then the easy route is just go with the flow, get the jab, and, and you know, and get on with life. Yeah, because that's what they want you to do. Well, so they, that, they don't want anyone to think that people got a break because yeah, there are many people feeling that they were coerced. Yeah, and um, exactly. and as soon as anyone senses that some people were given a pass unfairly or whatever, I mean, none of this was fair. Then yeah. that generates anger and resentment. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I and I think, you know, looking forward, because um, we can't change the past, Paul, we, but we can certainly be a bit more savvy next time because there will be a next time. And and it's not it doesn't just apply to this particular incident. You know, there's lots of areas of, of government policy. I mean, look at the gun control laws. You know, if you want to renew your gun license, it's incredibly difficult now to to negotiate the forms involved, um, to have an interview and all of this. They, they deliberately make it too complicated because they know that people will just go with the flow, be lazy, can't be bothered with that admin, just give up on it. And, and so, so who, I mean, the bigger question is who's making these decisions because they've not yeah. been voted for, have they? No. It's and they haven't been communicated. Question. There's been no referendums on. Are you all right with us going slow with every question you ask? Is everybody okay with that? There's never yeah. any of that, is there? No, no, that's right. No, I mean, certainly there's some sinister undertones to the, the whole nudge unit and the way that the different governments, and I mean, you know, the nudge unit was the UK-based one, but there's no doubt the New Zealand government also with had its own. Five yeah. eyes, right? Yeah. They're all linked. That's right. Copy and paste. Um, well, we've heard um, that uh, there's been slow walking of of OIA requests for information on our response to the international health regulation amendments. Yeah. Now, why would that be? Yes, exactly. How, how come it's yeah. taken five months? Yeah. Just to get a few basic questions yeah. answered and about is- that. And this is another great example, Paul, of the sludge. You know, um, you'll send an OIA in and they'll say, oh, no, that's not my department. That's somebody else. And they'll pass it. They'll leave it 20 days. Then you send it to another department and so on and so forth. And, you know, another great example of the international nature of this that I witnessed was um, the DHBs being consolidated and, you know, different ministries, et cetera, taking over different responsibilities. Uh, yeah. Exactly the same thing was happening in the UK. The NHS had multiple 
the National Health Service in the UK have multiple different divisions. And during the COVID era and since, they have deliberately consolidated different, you know, called them, renamed themselves, called different divisions different things, given them different responsibilities. And so when you send an OIA um, into these entities, they some of them are genuinely confused, but, of course, it also gives them a good excuse. They genuinely don't know who was dealing with that at that particular time, where is that data gone. Um, it's incredibly frustrating, and, and it is deliberate. There's no doubt that, you know, this kind of thing doesn't happen on an international scale like this. I um, think the, the centralisation of our health system, you know, into one uh, – you know, consolidating in a central central system. I mean, some may have argued in the past that that was a sensible thing to do, but okay, they did it. And also, the uh, Maori Health Unit, I think, was or, or parallel system was part of that. That happened ahead of all of this, but mm. in close proximity. That's right. Yeah. Was it like? Yeah. Is it like a plan? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And the and the digital, you know, the interference with the digital healthcare. Um, sector, you know, encouraging people to have Zoom um, consultations with their um, doctors or whatever. You know, it's it's all a, a mega data kind of um, collection for other, you know, other reasons other than public health, their surveillance reasons and um, reasons that we may not even know about. You know, we're not provided with informed consent because we don't know what Zoom might be recording um, or what you know, what data is on the on the My Health app or or whatever. Um, yeah. Yes, feeding to AI and yeah. um, and and spitting out reports to whoever. So, um, without proper clarification, and okay, they might all be con- confused at the back end, but uh, in any sort of inquiry, surely we need to know this. This is something that we need to know about, and we need to know if it's a bigger scale. We need to know almost who the individuals are, yep. why they were exempted, what yep. significant service disruption could have occurred if they were vac- vaccinated. I mean, yes. what what could that be? Yeah. Because yeah. it was all good, wasn't it? It was all, you know, um, safe and effective and it's going to yeah. save granny. And how could there be a significant service disruption from that? Well, talking about significant service disruptions, Paul, I, th- I don't think it's um, unfair to to mention that, you know, what's going on now is significant service disruption, isn't it? You know, I've, we've had a, a friend at the weekend who unfortunately was at the accident and emergency um, local, at a local hospital and, you know, had to wait 11 hours to to see someone. So, you know, the, the context of the SSDs back during this period, um, in light of what the healthcare sector is looking at today, um, it is you know it's pretty, pretty well, shocking. Well, really. the complete opposite has occurred. I mean, we're you mentioned that experience that uh, your friend had. Well, I've seen a letter um, um, soliciting um, donations for St John, which states sixty three thousand extra callouts. Mm. in the last 12 months compared to the 12 months before. Yeah. That's a provincial city's worth of call-outs right there in yeah. one year. Yeah. So is that a significant service disruption? Yeah. I'd say that'd but be no, an epic service disruption, wouldn't it? Yeah, but the, the censorship is pre- you know preventing that from being public knowledge, isn't it? 
So do you think we'll get to, is there any way of getting to the bottom of these stats without an inquiry? Is that sludge thing just too No, I'd I'd love to see a proper independent inquiry um, and a call out to some whistleblowers and people that have got OIAs that they haven't necessarily published. And um, and definitely, you know, it's not just the the health sector. There's the education sector, corrections. Well, this borders. will be bigger, won't it? This will be bigger yeah. than yeah. than than this. It must be. There must be a whole. This category would have been used if it was used in health. Yeah. Would have been used in other public Absolutely. departments. Yeah, and remember that sludge wasn't just about the applications. It was at the front end as well. People were being prevented from even applying for exemptions by their boss or their GP, you know, or other kind of gate gatekeepers um, who just, some of them I know, people have come to me and said, you know, point blank, they said, no, you're not going to get an exemption, you know, regardless yeah. of who they were and what their authority was. So, Well, so, even if you've yeah. been injured, I've, I've spoken to people who have told me that even if you were injured by the first jab, you still yeah. couldn't get an exemption from that. What the freaking hell is that? I know. It says that on the application form. You know, on the application for an exemption, it specifically says just because you've had a prior reaction to a previous vaccine or you've had, um, a, you know, anaphylactic shock, et cetera, you, th- that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, it automatically allow you to have an exemption, which is just, it's cruel. It's just sinister and cruel and inhumane. And you had the Prime Minister choosing not to communicate advice on young people and myocarditis because the messaging was too difficult. What? But but everyone had the choice, Paul, apparently. Everyone had a choice. Oh, sorry, I missed that. (laughs) But kids never had a choice. They did what their parents told them to do, right? Yeah. That's really so unethical. It's just beyond words. He's got blood on his hands. Sorry, yeah. Chippy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, so are you going to be uh, – are you making more OIAs? Um, I, yes, I will. I'll be publishing those. Um, I, I am in contact with Guy Hatchard and um, and other people, and I will be publishing on my Substack and, and other um, various outlets – um right. so yeah keep keep you know we'll keep in touch and uh keep asking those questions and if anybody is in a position where they want to um you know contact one of us or or you know come forward with some sort of um you know sharing an experience of having it an exemption um or not being granted an exemption then you know that would be really interesting to share some of those experiences. Well, I can tell um, you and, and the folks listening that we have been having conversations back in the back office about how we can facilitate whistleblowing. Yeah. You know, but do it properly, not yes, in a that... random way, because there's a lot at stake. We realize that for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we that's need to one respect... thing. Yeah. Yeah. We need to respect people's um, confidentiality confidentiality and the other thing of course off the back of that to mention is that a lot of these people we know signed non-disclosure agreements or records of settlements as they, part thro- of their they can be thrown out the window now forget it yeah they're yeah. not worth the paper they're written on well, I'm yeah well we need to you know we need to be a little bit careful and hopefully you know the legal beagle that that you speak to on a regular basis uh 
know, can you imagine can... someone taking that to a court and having it all gush out yeah. and discovery? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I live in, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic, Paul, that there will be accountability. And, you know, that only comes about really through people speaking out and being brave and uh, and coming forward and sharing their experiences because there's been this illusion of consensus for, you know, nearly four years now. And, you know, there is no consensus. There are people out there who are now, you know, maybe even the majority who know the truth and want to know more truth and that the truth will win in the end. I agree with you. Ursula Edgington, thanks for coming back on RCR. Great work. Let's keep thanks, in touch. Paul. Let's talk yeah. again when we have more to say. But at this point, we suspect that up to, what, uh, about 17,711, I make it, exemptions were granted under SSD and yeah. uh, medical exemption. And that's a lot of people in one field, only one yeah. field. So that's where it starts. And, and we need to to know more. If people want to um, catch up with you, communicate with you, look at your work, Ursula, where, where's, where can they go? Yes, on uh, Substack, I'm under Informed Heart. Um, so people can catch up me, with me there. All, all of the stuff that I publish there is free. There's no subscription required. Um, and I've also got other papers that I've published in places like Propaganda in Focus and UK Column News. Um, so I'm always happy to have feedback and comments on that. And can I do a quick plug for reachingpeople.net, sure. um, which is a group of colleagues based in the UK, highly qualified um, psychology experts, behavioural scientists. So reachingpeople.net. Uh, there's a variety of resources on there, including some short presentations, which help people to, um, you know, deal with these difficult conversations that we're having with members who, members of family or friends who may not quite understand what's going on um, and, you know, how to approach those kinds of conversations um, gently and sensitively and some, you know, some strategies that, that will help. So do have a look at that um, if, if you can. Take some time to do that. It's helpful. Dr. Ursula Edgington, thanks for coming on. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.